If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 15 this morning. Our verses that we will consider, we'll read in just a moment, will be verses 14 through 16. So that's Romans chapter 15, verse 14, 15, and 16. I want to welcome every one of you this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. A tuba in worship. I don't know how, like, they gave me this idea, and I'm like, I don't know, guys. It works. Thank you so much, um, each one of you, for using your gifts, serving the Lord, and encouraging hearts this morning. It is a delight, a delight to be together in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. You realize that it's actually commanded. The Lord Lord worked for six days and it says that he rested and he calls us to Sabbath as well. As a matter of fact, we have an entire weekend this weekend where we just pause. We slow down, we stop everything just to Sabbath from our work. Remember the purpose, the purpose, the purpose of our rest is to see him. The the purpose of our gathering together to listen to his word is to hear him. The purpose of our lifting voices together in song is to glorify him. As Robbie said, whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. It has already, it has already been a great day to be in the house of the Lord together. But I need help. I am in desperate need as always. And I know that many of you need a reminder of God's closeness, presence, comfort, and strength right now. Would you bow our heads and pray with me as we approach the throne of grace, preparing our hearts to hear from him this morning. Let's, let's pray. In quietness, Lord, we come to you. We're sung of your grace that we are so undeserving of. We sing of the peace that you offer us when we need it. We thank you, Lord, for the design. It's it's all over the place that we work hard, and yet, just as you've rested, you've called us to rest, to Sabbath well, with a purpose of seeing you. And Lord, in the, the busyness of this season with classes starting and school back. We just pray, Lord, that as we gather, that this would be a moment that, that we can mark, a, a milestone that, that we notice very clearly that you've, you've chosen to reveal yourself to us anew, afresh, in a way, Lord, that we all together with one voice would say that we need to hear from you. We thank you, Lord, for your holiness. We thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you for the wisdom, your goodness, 
the knowledge that is offered to us through your word. We thank you, Lord, most of all for salvation from our sin, that you take broken pieces, you take ashes, and you turn them into beauty. Father, we know, Lord, that we need help, and we confess that and admit that. And I, I personally just ask, please, guide me this morning that you would be glorified in this time. Oh, how, how we love you. And we thank you for your unconditional love for us. May we who have been given ears, may we hear from you this morning. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful, matchless, beautiful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the Christ. Amen and amen. The focus the last couple weeks has been quite obvious as we've been in Romans chapter 15. We introduced it, verses 1 through 7. Look at Christ who is the ultimate example for us. Last week we considered verses 8 through 13 how Christ is our absolute hope. And, and all of it, I think we see with purpose the intentionality of showing others Christ, of sharing Christ, of offering Christ. And we know that the message of Christ, the good news, is not for just a limited few. It's, it's not for a few that have been set apart We've learned and we saw repeated over and over again and again the promise of the Messiah which is seen in the hope of Scripture is for what? The promise to the ethnos. Just as Katya reminded us that the Lord is returning and we need to be praying for the nations. The whole world is to know. The whole world needs to know. Therefore today our focus is what I call Christ, His message our mission. Let me direct your attention to verse 14 of Romans chapter 15. And I'll read our text for us this morning. Romans chapter 15, 14 through 16. I myself, Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that... The offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Two very simple, clear points I want to give to you this morning. The first one is this, how we see Paul affirming the church's calling. The author here, the Holy Spirit as well, speaks to us affirming what we are supposed to be doing as a church. The church's calling, like any excellent and, and caring pastor. I love Paul's word here, but he, he at some level comes alongside as a teacher, as a shepherd, as an elder. He's encouraging and affirming the Roman believers in verse 14. And notice that it's a very, very positive tone of how pleased he is with his brothers and sisters in Christ. He says this, I am satisfied with you. Now this is not a flippant Snickers always satisfies idea. 
Okay, we're not talking about that fleeting 10-minute feel-good fix. No, 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 it's not that. But this word here has an idea. It's a deeper, it's a more meaningful, it's a heartfelt, sincere appreciation of what? The spiritual growth and progress that he sees. I think... I'm safe and saying, when he pens these words and he thinks about these people, there's a big smile that comes across his face. I am satisfied. The NIV says, I am convinced. The New King James says, I am confident. The Old King James says, I am persuaded. I know something. Why? He says, I, I'm seeing something in you. I hear something and I know of important things that you are beginning to understand. Have you ever heard this phrase before? I, I think the light bulb is starting to go on. You guys are getting it. You're nailing it. And I am so proud of you. There's three of them. And each of these three things serve as wonderful reminders for every single one of us who are to be growing in our faith and maturing in our own walk, in our own life, as we keep the message of Jesus Christ central to our mission. He says you're full of goodness. It speaks of a moral excellence, a virtue. He says that you are filled with knowledge, which means that you are acquainted or familiar with facts and the truth and you're aware of the source of truth. Proverbs chapter 2 speaks of that source. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He's saying, you know where knowledge comes from. And he says finally that you're able to instruct one another. The word is nuthetio. It's where we get our word nuthetic from. Nuthetic counseling. We talk about what? You're able to admonish. You're able to warn. You're able to counsel. Now, now, for us, as we hear this morning, it's a reminder that you really can't have one of these things without the other. Or in a sense, we could say you can have one of these things, but you will not succeed in the mission that you have been called to. Which is what? As we see in verse 16. In the service of the gospel of God. You see, we, we all need to know that goodness, we'll start there as we examine this list. Goodness is, is not a passive quality. It just kind of like exists and kind of floats around. No, goodness is a deliberate understanding of right and wrong, choosing to follow it in such a way that you can be a model for others toward moral good. Can I give you a more simple definition of goodness in two words? Jay Gaunt. One year ago, today, as we received news of the loss of a dear brother. Let me just define again with this idea of goodness. Listen to this. It's a deliberate understanding of right and wrong. Choosing to follow it in such a way that you can be a model for others toward moral 
good. This includes what? A kindness that we saw, evidence. We saw a gentleness that is directly connected to everything else. Paul affirms that, that these points, they build upon one another. Goodness is to precede knowledge. Yes, yes, he is saying, he is seeing and he is saying that we are to be filled with knowledge. That's studying the word of God. That's asking good questions. That's reading the truth. But they build upon one another in such a way that if you don't have goodness, it's pretty hard to instruct one another regardless of the fact that you have all kinds of knowledge. Why? Let me, let me tell you this, because no one wants to spend time with an ignorant know-it-all. Or, or if I could even say it in a way that you may maybe even understand that even more clear. This is why it's so important for us. The message of the gospel, the word of the gospel, the work of the gospel has no room for jerks. And I asked my wife permission, could I use that word today? Because I don't know how else to describe this. Please, please hear me. I'm not saying that we need to be perfect in order to receive the gospel. We know that the gospel is for everyone. But what I am saying is this. Once you have received it, remember to whom this letter is written to, the Roman. They're believers. They're Christians. They're the church. We need to give thought toward how you share it. Some, some say, yeah, but you know what? I'm just, I'm kind of outspoken. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty loud. I'm pretty brash. I'm from, I'm from Philly. So I'm from Jersey. I'm allowed to talk like that. Some of you may have seen, I don't know or not, you may have seen the pre-ply um, study that was just released. Uh, Preply conducted a survey asking 1,500 American residents to rate the rudeness of the average resident in their city on a scale of 1 to 10. Number one, with a winning record of 6.43 on the rudeness scale, is the city of Philadelphia. I'm from there, so I can just be rude. They beat New York City. New York City is three. Boston is number five. So at some level, we're like, oh, that's me. Like, that's just how I talk. Or else we have the opposite. Others that say, no, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of shy. Like, I'm an introvert. So I don't really need to say anything, do I? No, no, that's not an excuse for you. Sorry. So others would say, what? I'm, I'm doing it, aren't I? What more do I have to do? What more do you want? Too many times in my ministry, I have heard an unbeliever, someone who does not know Jesus, say that the number one reason why they don't want to put their faith or their trust in Jesus is because the way they were spoken to by another believer. That's sad. That is a sad statement. And, and we all automatically say, well, they, they shouldn't be looking at individuals. They should be looking at Christ. Yeah, that's true. They should. But they don't know Christ. They don't know Christ. Oftentimes, it's you. You 
are their only understanding of who Jesus is. You realize that? Therefore, as the author commends and reminds us, he leads with this, we are to be full of goodness. It needs to be present in order for the knowledge of the gospel to be heard. That's what he's saying here. Also, we need to give thought toward the accuracy and the fullness of the knowledge that we are sharing. We have to know what it is we are sharing. Gospel message. If you were to say, well, well, let me explain to you what is the gospel. Can you articulate the gospel? Do you understand the key components of it? Have you communicated the gospel? A holy God creates all of mankind out of nothing, a spoken word. And sinful men, because of the fall, and there's a great chasm between the two, and to break that chasm, to draw those to the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man together, is what is the God-man, Jesus Christ, who was born in a little manger, we celebrate and sing about at Christmas, lived a perfect, sinless life, fulfilled every component of the law, was tortured on the cross. A lamb without blemish was slain and his blood was poured out to pay for your foolishness and my foolishness. To pay for our sins. So that when God sees us, after we placed our faith in the full finished work of Jesus, he doesn't see our ignorance and our foolishness. He sees our righteousness that has been imparted to us. Because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we respond in obedience to that. Do you understand the full weights? We do everything in the service of the gospel. We just read that. Now let's, let's remember what's happening here. Let's step back in time. We, we are well aware what there are no perfect churches. Okay? We are all well aware there are no perfect people, but thankfully, churches, a church, this church, Big Woods, that is pursuing goodness and knowledge so we can willingly and lovingly admonish one another with the word. That's the absolute truth. And we're reminding one another of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. What we understand is that it's that church that the author, the Apostle Paul, he would commend us. We could say it what? That ultimately is a church that the author and finisher. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher. That's the type of church that the author and finisher would commend. Is that, is, that not, is that not our life goal? To be faithful to the calling that God has placed? To steward well what we've been given so that when we stand before the Lord, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because we have been faithful to the obedient work that we've been called to. We see first and foremost the affirming of the church's calling. This is what we do. Secondly, the challenging the church Toward gospel effectiveness. Oh, how this is needed. 
in our nation today, how this is needed to be preached from pulpits today, how this is needed for fathers and mothers to, 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 to gather their children together to pray over them, for husbands and wives to hold hands and pray for gospel effectiveness because we're part of the bride of Christ. You've heard this before. You've heard these exact words. You have been here before. Unforgettable words, necessary words, and you've heard these exact words from your parents, from your teacher, a coach, a professor, a pastor, a friend. Here's something like this. I am proud of you. You are doing well. But... But that's the next word. It's both a preposition and a conjugation, meaning except that. And it actually implies a contrast. It, it literally means this. You are doing good. Full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able to instruct. You are doing well. You're heading the right direction. Praise God. And he's smiling as he's saying it. But guess what? I love you so much that I want to challenge you. You can do even better than that. You can do even better than that. Now, please know and understand. And it's hard to, I, I wrote it so that I get it, but it's hard for you to understand. This is not, this is not in the tone of an intolerant perfectionist father. Okay? It's not the one who's, who you can never please. Whatever you do, it's not quite good enough. That... Th that's just not right. Why can't you do it like, like someone else? Many of you have heard words like that. You never do it right. It, it's not in that tone. It is not that. That's not what's being spoken here. It's not what's written here. It's, it's not what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us this morning about. Rather, what it is, what it is, is, is what? It's, it's closer to a loving and a gentle parental guiding there's a shepherding component a wise and a patient teacher who sees something in you god given potential and just simply desires the very very best that you can do it's exactly the tone what paul does right here he loves them so much but he also teaches us that he loves God even more. He says, but at, at some points, I've written to you very boldly as a reminder. Now that, that, little, that little but statement, that, that is hard for you and I to understand because we live in a world that what? Anything goes. Like you just show up, you get a reward. You just, you just arrive like, like you're here and you're breathing? Let's put a medal around your neck because you want something. Everybody gets something, a certificate of participation. <laughs> like, what is that? You have accomplished nothing, but you woke up. And you get rewarded for that? That's the world that we live in. Let me, let me tell you this. You do not go to heaven because you showed up at church. You don't get a participation award. Sorry. It just doesn't happen like that. You know, there's something bigger here at play. 
Okay, it's pretty clear in the gospel. It's by faith alone and Christ alone according to scripture alone. You see, this, this, is, this is truth. This is a challenge toward gospel effectiveness and thankfully the author cites the reason that he can be so bold he cites the reason that he can be so confident in this loving admonishment to his brothers and sisters in Christ and you pick it up in verse 15 because of the grace given me because of the grace that that I've received by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. You realize, just like the Apostle Paul, we need to see ourselves first and foremost as recipients of grace because of the grace given by God. We also, like Paul, need to see ourselves as servants to others and to God for the sake of the gospel, to be a minister of Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel. Gospel. And there's this idea of serving and ministering. I think there's an image somewhere of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, stinky, dirty feet. It was the first, like, real message I ever preached in my entire life. Gospel of John. It was called Dirty Feet. I know. But, but there's this idea. I remember that, that Jesus, he said this. Just as I have done to you, I want you to do that for others. You see, this is, this is what we're hearing here. And it begins with, you don't really do that until you first understand what you have received, what you've been the recipient of. I, 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 I still think, and I know that, that all things are passed away and behold, all things become new. But I have this idea that every single time that the Apostle Paul wrote on the subject of grace... When he writes that word, charis, that I'm certain that he must have paused, probably closed his eyes, and he, and he remembers how he himself would literally kick down the door of a Christian's home and grab them by the hair and drag them out to the street and order them to be beaten. That's, that's who he was. That's, that's what he did. That was, that was his life's goal, to destroy any and all work of God. You know, the people of the way, his idea was get them out of the way. That's who Paul was. And yet, Paul knows, just like you and I, God reached down in his sovereign grace to lavishly bestow unmerited favor upon such a sinner that has not only been freed from the darkness and the destructiveness of that life, but actually now uses him for his glory. That's grace. That's amazing grace. I think I just heard y'all sing that. Been hanging around Robbie. I just said y'all. <laughs> do, do, you, do you think about your own life for a moment? Do you ever just pause like, like, like Paul would do as he wrote that word? Do you ever just pause and think hard about the grace that has been given to me? I know my heart. I see the ugliness that exists in there. 
and the fast flipping words and the, the impure thoughts. I, I know what exists in here. You know your own heart. The anger, the jealousy, the coveting. Why, Why is it so easy for everybody else? And yet, God has extended grace to us. You know, this, this is, that's, that's one of the distinctive features of the gospel. Listen to this, a guy by the name of Gilbert Bill, Bill Zekian. I just love his name, Gilbert Bill Zekian. He, he says this about, about the subject of grace. He says, no other system of religious thought past or present, contains an emphasis on divine grace comparable to that of the Bible. As a general definition, the doctrine of grace pertains to God's activity rather than to his nature. Although God is gracious, this trait of his nature is revealed only in relation to his created works and to his redemptive enterprise. In other words... Grace is to be understood in terms of a dynamic expression of the divine personality rather than a static attribute of God's nature. Grace is the dimension of divine activity that enables God to confront human indifference and rebellion with inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless. God is gracious in action. So, so, and it says, he is grace, but he doesn't just like hold that. He bestows that. And there's what? An inexhaustible capacity. All the stupid things that you and I have ever done, God does not exhaust himself. It's saying, that's my son. I loved him enough to die. That's, that's my little girl. And he lavishes this amazing grace. Us. Also notice the language, the word choice that is used here to be a minister of Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel. He's expressing, and he's actually emphasizing the idea of this priestly service. He carries with the idea that the duties of the priest, which are what? Are offering sacrifices to God. If you remember Romans chapter 12, we offer ourselves a living sacrifice. Remember that the priest's job Okay, it's, it's not at all glamorous. Okay, there's no lights and camera here. There's no, no touch-up makeup artist. You know, there's no um, song that plays when you walk up to the plate, like you get your own song. There's none of that with the duties of the priest. The duties and responsibilities of a priest, it's messy. And it's bloody. It's exhausting for the priest not only had to hear, but he had to feel the weight and be aware of the sins of many, but also carefully consecrating and watching his own life, ever pursuing holiness in every single area. Why? So he would direct people to the holiness of God. Think, isn't, isn't that... What we're to do, we offer our sacrifices. I talk about the three T's, our, our time, our tithe, and our talents. 
we just offer them. We're just stewards. This all belongs to the Lord. And we just offer that back. And yet Paul actually speaks about offering something else here. In addition to that. Douglas Mill writes in his commentary on Romans, he says, Paul is, is a priest using the gospel as a means by which he offers the Gentile converts as a sacrifice acceptable to God. You see what's happening here. Thankfully, we're told, we're, we're taught in conclusion that it's the work of the Holy Spirit that sanctifies, not Paul, not, not you, not me, that the ministry of the gospel and as other people respond to that and receive the gospel, they're the ones that we offer in worship. It's evidence that God is real. The Holy Spirit is real and the Holy Spirit is powerful. Paul had been set apart to go to the Gentiles and he had done that. And as he did that, he did what we are supposed to be doing today. He proclaimed the gospel in such a way that the Holy Spirit goes to work. R.C. Sproul says it so well. He, he describes effective gospel ministry because this is what we're moving towards. Okay, we're not here just to like suck air and take up space. Okay, we're here for a reason. Sproul says, and I quote, the Holy Spirit attaches himself to the proclamation of the word. <laughs> I would go home and I would go under the covers and I would never come out and I would never preach another word for the rest of my life if that was not true. I would have nothing to say. Just, just think for a moment. Your word that you're speaking, we know it's the truth of the gospel. Literally, the Holy Spirit attaches himself to the proclamation of the word. Yeah, but I'm, I'm kind of shy. Like, I just, I'm just going to live like Jesus. You'd need to be living like Jesus. But there's something here about the fact that God has given you a, a mouth and a tongue to speak of his, his grace that you have been a recipient of. You can't hold that. See, that's exactly what Paul did. when he knew it, wasn't, it wasn't him. It was the work of the Holy Spirit through him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of, and I love this, power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. <laughs> I, I could get a little amped up about that. Like that's, that's, that's what it is. Paul, Paul knows. And, and he does what he's supposed to do. And he knows it's not his own work, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why he offers the fruit of his ministry to the Lord as an act of worship. As he exercises the office of the priest, which is the same office you and I hold. Not apostleship, but it says that we are royal priesthood. The Apostle Peter writes of. There's so much. There is so much to this text for us to hear and to learn and to grow in. And let's just pause quickly in closing as we seek to take this. We take this. We've heard it. We're not to be hearers only but doers and apply this to our life and to our home and to our family, to our ministries. 
of the church today. Let me just give you a couple questions for you to consider. You can jot these down and just allow these to kind of marinate through your mind over the course of the next several hours or perhaps days as we launch into a new semester over the next weeks and months. Ask this question first and foremost. Is goodness present in my life? You know, we all watch that, um, you know, the little thing in our car, and it says, like, E or F. And we kind of watch it, and, like, we, we, like, didn't I just, wasn't it just on F? It wasn't it just, didn't you just run? I, I just had it on F. And then we know at some level, like, it was full. So how, is goodness, is it, like, is it full? Is it half empty? Or is it entirely empty? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm tired of just being good. Like, this is just exhausting. Let me give you a little hint, okay? A little exercise, what you can do when you ask yourself this question, is goodness present in my life? Why not you go to someone who knows you well and ask them this question? Hi, could you help me understand? Do you see goodness in me? That's just a great conversation starter. That's a great conversation starter. Is goodness present? It says, we are commanded, when you are full of goodness, the life of a brother that we esteem and miss and mourn. But we know he demonstrated and modeled something for us. It wasn't just here. It like, it erupted into other people's lives. Another question. How, how am I doing in my study of the word to increase in my knowledge of the word? So, so we know that we talked about knowledge comes from the mouth of God. I do believe this is from the mouth of God. People tell me all the time, I just, God feels so distant, and he's like not speaking to me, and everything is so dark. And I ask you, how are you doing reading? In, in the word, yeah, it's not real good. Of course. I was talking with a pastor yesterday, and he was talking with another pastor and, and these two pastors, that's just a dangerous, dangerous conversation, okay? But they're asking one another, between the two of them, they had 40 years, 40 years of pastoral experience. And as they were talking, and they were talking about marriages going through struggle and divorce rates skyrocketing, and, and how the fact that each of these pastors, this is what pastors listen to husbands and wives as they like point figures and daggers at one another, how evil the other one is. And both of these pastors said never one time, never one time in their combined 40 years of ministry have they ever seen a couple go through a divorce who were regularly in the word of God. And I raised my hand. I'm like, can I add my 20 years of experience? Because I've never seen it myself. I've never seen a couple divorce when they are regularly and faithfully studying the word of God, reading it together every single day. It doesn't happen. I've never seen it. How are you doing? How am I, pronoun I, you, doing in the study of the word to increase in my knowledge of the word? Get it out, dust it off. Go to your children and say, forgive daddy because I've not been faithful in leading and shepherding 
Mama, go to your little ones and, and start reading with them. Husbands and wives, turn off the silliness of the noise of the world around us and, and dig in deep. Yeah, but it's really hard to understand. Well, goodness gracious, stay around for Sunday school. That's not hard. How about the third question? A am I able to instruct in the key components of the gospel? I was so excited when Pastor Stewart came to me. It was some time ago, and, and he had asked his youth. This is both junior and senior high students. And he asked them a simple question. Can you articulate the gospel? Do you know what the gospel is? He was so excited to say, most of the kids, the majority of the kids in that class, they got it. Like, praise God for that. There's four components. God, man, Jesus Christ, and response. You take any one of these pillars away, and you don't have the gospel. God, man, Jesus, the demons believe that. There's no response. Do, do you understand? You remove any one of those four pillars of the gospel, and there is no gospel. Someone shared recently that, that they heard someone share the gospel, but Jesus wasn't mentioned. I, I'm, how, how does that even work? That doesn't work. Jesus died to offer us the gospel. You remove any one of those four, God, man, Jesus Christ, and our response, take any one of those pillars and the house will collapse. There is no gospel. You can mark my words on that. How, how are you able to do? How are you doing at articulating, at instructing others, admonishing in love. I see this. But, I have a question number four. Am I, am I being faithful in offering fruits of my ministry in worship? Am I being faithful offering back? You've shared the goodness, the good news of the gospel with another are you, are you offering that one, praying for that one, bringing them to grow? Are you walking alongside of someone else who is new in their faith? Finally, am, am I trusting in the work of the Holy Spirit? Do we understand His work brings the power? Or are you trying to manufacture? We have man-made results. Like, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't cut it. So a couple really easy questions for us to ask ourselves. How are we doing first and foremost on what? Affirming the church's calling and then we know what? Challenging the church toward gospel effectiveness. May we be a church. May we be known. May our, our character traits. Those people there, they... They, they sing a little off tune once in a while. They're like, you know, it's not always perfect. And, and that guy's kind of loud and screechy once in a while. But their hearts full of goodness. And they know the word. And they're willing to come alongside others and watch the Holy Spirit at work. Alongside the proclamation of your faithful work of the gospel. Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for who you are. And we thank you, Lord, and we're amazed that you... You, you use us. We admit that we need your help. And we trust that you will guide us. We confess areas that will fall in short. Areas that we've been silent in when we need to speak up. We confess areas that your word is, has stayed closed and, and under a number of other books or iPads. We confess those things. We confess that we can be loud and brash. Or silence. 
We confess, Lord, that that some of us have caused people who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior to stumble from hearing the truth of the gospel. We would ask, Lord, together as one body, your children, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you would forgive us and that you who have extended to us grace upon grace and imparted your righteousness upon us that we would be faithful stewards of all of these things all for your glory we ask this in Jesus name amen and amen